Aloha, everyone. On behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we wanted to take a moment to thank our team members for working through these trying times. And we wanted to thank our community for not just supporting us, but most importantly, supporting each other amid this climate of change and continued uncertainty. It is difficult to fathom some of the recent tragedies that have occurred, but what we can do collectively is aspire to be better for one another. We don't want to disrupt this message by taking time to promote some meaningless special. All that can be found on our website or app. Instead, once again, mahalo for your strength and your character. And we look forward to our very special community here in Hawaii getting back to work and making the world a better place. And with that, let's talk sports. Jordan, what's up, man? Let's warm things up. A little pregame topic. ESPN SEC Network anchor Peter Burns took to Twitter the other day and asked people, what's your favorite random sports stat that blows your mind every time you think about it? Now, I have one that I've always carried around. is a piece of trivia slash statistic. Uh, Jim Tomey and Shane Victorino, the only Major League Baseball players with two career postseason Grand Slams which is interesting because Jim Tomey hit 612 career home runs, whereas Shane Victorino hit 108. So the fact that that's the pairing there for that particular statistic has always blown my mind. But Peter did elicit a lot of really great contributions to this. Uh, What's yours? Did you have one that stood out? Yeah, I spent hours last night just scrolling through this Peter Burns tweet uh, because so many people were, were throwing out great stats and, and facts. And um, yeah, a couple that, that stood out uh, is the, um, the Ken Griffey Jr. Stan Musial fact and how Ken Griffey Jr. is, he's only second all time in hits by a left-handed outfielder born November 21st in Denoro, Pennsylvania, <laughs> which is like the most baseball stat ever. And then it's like, what, he's, he's second? And it's like, yes, yeah, Stan Musial apparently was born also on November 21st in that same Pennsylvania town. Uh, that is ridiculous. Like, I don't, know, I don't know what the odds of that happening are, are just incredible. Uh, and then one other kind of quirky one that I saw is apparently the last rainout at Dodger Stadium was in April of 2000, like over 20 years ago. This is the last time the Dodgers have had a rainout in Chavez Ravine. I was like, it's a long time, and it's very L.A. That's pretty crazy. You know, you mentioned Stan Musial, uh, Buster only busted this one out. He said that Stan Musial had 3,630 hits in his career, 1,815 at home, 1,815 on the road, which is uh, certainly a a pretty crazy statistic that it's split right down the middle. Bob Valvano, uh, he actually contributed. Arnold Palmer made hole-in-ones in in competition on the same hole on consecutive days. No one else in professional golf has ever done that before or since. You're a guy with multiple holes in one, uh, so you probably can understand a little bit about where Arnie's coming from there. Uh, And then this one – Aaron Rodgers has the highest TD to interception ratio, 4.3 in NFL history, and he could throw a pick on 151 straight passes and still have a better mark than Brett Favre in his Packers career. That's incredible. I love some of those. They were like some of the Tony Gwynn stats were like if he had gone hitless in like a thousand straight appearances at the plate, uh, he could he would still have a lifetime average over uh, 300 or whatever. I had a couple of uh, college basketball related ones that I feel like you probably enjoyed as well being the big hoops guy that you are the, the Kenny Lofton stat that in the, his minor league baseball seasons in 88 and 89 he had 66 stolen bases and then in the 88 89 college basketball season when of course he was a star at the University of Arizona he had 67 steals so he had one more steal on the basketball court than he did on the baseball field in that 88 89 time frame and then the other one which I know you will love that uh, makes me hurt a little bit as a Duke fan. Only five Duke players have won an NBA title since 1975. For all the success that Coach K has had, only five guys, and like Dante Jones and Shane Battier were on a team together, that Heat team that won it, that finally, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that, you know, for the Duke haters out there, I feel like that was a bit of a victory. Yeah, a little bit of fodder there. Uh, all right, and just a couple more to add. We could actually do this for the entire podcast, and I'd be <laughs> satisfied and happy. Uh, but we do have some other things we want to get to. But before we move on, Jerry Rice had 93 receptions at the age of 40. Who had the second most receptions after the age of 40 in NFL history? It's a tie between the aforementioned Brett Favre and Tom Brady 
They each had one. I mean, come on, man. And then maybe my favorite statistic, I don't know if this even counts as a sports stat, but it's a stat that I will carry with me forever. And that is Andre the Giant one time being recorded as drinking 119 beers in one sitting. There you go. Does it get any better than that? That's goat status right there. That's a drop of the mic right there. (laughs) And with that, our pregame is pow. All right, we want to uh, welcome everybody to another episode here of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. Uh, we're excited about our guest, as we always are, but in this particular instance, the timeliness of it, I think, is uh, certainly fitting. Eddie Klineski, head coach for the Damian Monarchs football team, uh, who is now officially the athletics director, but that's not uh, without some pilikia and turbulence that occurred here over the last week. He was part of a mass faculty slash staff cut by the now former head of school, brother Brian Walsh, who was interestingly enough, subsequently replaced as head of school just days later by Kyle Atabay. Uh, And Eddie Klineski was promptly rehired and named athletics director, uh, taking over the AD position after Rudy Alejo was reassigned as part of that mass faculty shakeup to a full-time teaching position. So all's well that ends well for Eddie. He is back in his position as the head football coach for which he has served the last decade uh, and also the athletics director. We'll talk to him about just how tumultuous a week it has been and what he foresees here for the upcoming football season, as well as now in his role as an athletics director, just the overall athletic season outlook. Yeah, Eddie's the man. He's terrific, right? His story is the underdog of underdog stories. Uh, Star Damien, star at the University of Hawaii. Uh, he is quintessential Damien. He is Damien through and through. Uh, and I think when a lot of people saw that he had been relieved of his duties, even though it was for a short time, uh, people kind of lost their mind. Because if you're getting rid of Eddie Klineski at Damien, that's that's kind of, you know, taking a pillar from the school and removing it from the foundation of that building, if you will. Uh, and I'm happy to see it kind of got a promotion, I guess you could say, out of out of all of that craziness. It sounds like there is some stability coming the way of that school and athletic program. So, yeah, always fun to catch up with Eddie. He's one of the good guys, man. All right, with that, let's kick it up to game time. And our first topic here in the game time portion of the program, uh, the Ilani Classic, one of the preeminent basketball tournaments on the high school level, really in the entire country, has been canceled for 2020. This is usually a tournament that is played in December, pretty close to the holidays. You are a guy who has actually participated as a play-by-play announcer on the coverage for the Iolani Classic the last couple of years. A a prestigious event without a doubt. And when you look through the alums that have gone through this tournament, from Kevin Durant to Jerry Stackhouse to R.J. Barrett, I mean, the list is is long and it is star-ridden. Uh, what is your reaction to this? And if you would, maybe throw in your favorite Ilani Classic moment or memory. It's a bummer, right? I mean, absolutely. This tournament is such a treat for local basketball fans because you get that intimate atmosphere at Iolani Gym, how storied that floor is because of all the names that you mentioned that have come through that tournament and how much it has grown, uh, how terrific it has been, uh, you know, going back to when it was started you know, 30 years ago now or so, um, and, and how it really has been for the time frame. I mean, it, quite honestly, the best high school basketball tournament in the country as long as it has gone, right? I mean, so there other events have popped up, but the longevity of this event and the draw of it, obviously the partnership with Nike, um, and it just keeps getting better and better. Like the fields are always loaded, always star-studded. The, the fact that it pits, you know, a, a field that is basically half mainland powerhouses and half local teams is always such a fun element to it. Um, and so it's, it's disappointing for sure. You understand why they made the call. You understand why they made it so early in the year as well. Uh, you know, considering, you know, it's five plus months away uh, just because there's so much travel involved. There is so much logistical uh, consideration that goes into this type of tournament. Uh, so that's the only bummer really that, uh, you know, that, because of that, they have to make an early decision. And I think it's it's the no-brainer one at this point with all the uncertainty up in the air. And so, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be kind of a quiet December when it comes to, you know, prep basketball around the state. Uh, you know, and it, it makes me wonder, you know, what the rest of the season is going to look like from a from a prep basketball standpoint. Could that impact, you know, what could they be foretelling a little bit of what the college basketball season is as well with obviously big events here on Maui and on Oahu. 
when it comes to uh, non-conference basketball tournaments. But yeah, it's going to be a bummer, you know, and, and some of the, the recent years have been some of my favorite memories, just being involved in the classic a little bit more. I mean, you think back to 2016, right? When we talk about Hawaii versus a lot of these great mainland programs that Kahuku team that made it to the semifinals of this, uh, of the Iolani classic that year, about as deep as any local team has ever gotten, especially uh, in recent years with, you know, Josiah Villa, Dan Fotu, and Samuta, they had three Division One players uh, at one point or another for that Kahuku team. Uh, and then the very next year, when R.J. Barrett came to town, right? Yeah, I think he's as big a name as we've had maybe in the last five years. Uh, you know, who knows if he's going to get to the level of a of a Kevin Durant or Jerry Stackhouse or something like that. But, I mean, that Montverde team that came down, that was that was a team, I think, that is among the better teams we've seen, uh, again, maybe this century, since, since the 2000 or something. Um, but I, he was on that team, Philip Petrusev, who's terrific big man at Gonzaga, who's actually being joined by his old Montvert teammate, Andrew Nemhart, who transfers over from Florida. He's another guy that could have some maybe NBA potential. That was just three of the guys uh, that they had on that Montvert. Kihei Clark was in that tournament as well for Taft, uh, who won a national championship just the other year with Virginia. Uh, so there have been some, some pretty standout moments. And I'm, I'm extra bummed. Because uh, my alma mater, Baldwin, here on Maui, was actually scheduled to be in the field uh, this year. So I was going to go over there because I got to go check them out. I also missed it as a player during my playing days uh, at Baldwin. I missed the Classic by one year uh, after I finished up playing. So I was, I was looking forward to this season because uh, the Bears were going to be back in the Classic. And I was definitely going to be in, in the house to go check that thing out. But uh, maybe we got to wait another year. Well, you're a Baldwin alum. I'm an Ilani alum. And so obviously this hits close to home. This is a tournament and an event that uh, I've had the privilege of being involved with uh, as a player and also being part of the steering committee for a couple of years as uh, they uh, tried to take it here the last few years into kind of a, uh, a different era, if you will, post Glenn Young and the incredible job that he did basically by himself just putting this thing on. And we talked with Marcus Fuller, another Ilani alum, just a couple of episodes ago. Uh, and he was also writing stories and trying to pitch in in some ways. So uh, it has been a real collective, collaborative effort here the last few years uh, to try to see if we could take the Ilani Classic to the next level. And unfortunately, this is certainly going to be a bump in the road. Uh, hopefully just a one-time deal. I believe it's the first year since its inception that it hasn't been held. So uh, this is very unprecedented. Uh, one of my favorite memories was from when I was in high school and Oak Hill came down. We mentioned Jerry Stackhouse. They also had Jeff McKinnis. Both of those guys went on to play at North Carolina. Um, that was a tournament that also featured on another team, Jacques Vaughn, who went on to Kansas and to the NBA. Um, I think Felipe Lopez may have been uh, in that tournament as well. I mean, it was a stacked year. And it came to the slam dunk contest, which is another annual feature of the Iolani Classic, something that everyone looks forward to. And it wasn't Jerry Stackhouse, even though he was known as like the high flyer and the dunker for Oak Hill. They had another guy, Alex Sanders, who was a lefty who went on to play at Louisville. And he was in the dunk contest. And I just remember he did some things that I never saw done before at Iolani Gym. Uh, we're all watching and he tosses it off of the back wall by the edge of the backboard. He goes up, he catches it and in midair just does like a 180 and does a reverse dunk alley-oop off of the end wall of the gym which was just magnificent and so after that dunk he had seemingly won the contest he ran into the locker room to change his clothes but of course you know the judging is a little bit uh, questionable and and people wanted to see more dunks and so uh they decided to rule it a tie in that last round they're like one more dunk off right and uh, so alexander's walks back out by this point he's wearing just like a regular sort of you know nice t-shirt He's wearing button-up shorts, kind of like khaki shorts or whatever. It may have been denim shorts, like down to his knees, you know, kind of a sign of the times. And he's wearing sandals. And so he's not in any basketball gear, but it was his turn to dunk again. And so he's like, oh, okay. They give him the ball. He just does a little, like, run-up from the baseline in sandals, in street clothes, uh, and just does, like, a windmill dunk, slams it home, and wins the contest walk-off style. I thought that was pretty awesome, pretty pimp for sure. Uh, in that particular moment. But that was one of my favorite memories of so many for the Iolani Classic. And we certainly uh, hope that it comes back in full force uh, in 2021. All right, we move on. And uh, this is just something we kind of wanted to get the word out on for the University of Hawaii. They've launched a GoBo's crowdfunding campaign. Uh, the goal is to raise $250,000 over the next few months to help underwrite scholarships and expenses for returning fifth-year seniors whose spring seasons were cut short due to the, to the pandemic. 
as well as other COVID proofing efforts on the lower campus. And so uh, you can make donations at uhfoundation.org slash go Bose. Uh, but what do you see this as an indication of? I mean, obviously this is a sign of the extra expense and costs that some of these institutions who have decided to take advantage of that uh, eligibility relief that was bestowed upon them by the NCAA financially, that extra burden without perhaps some of the normal revenue that would be there either from the NCAA or from, depending on what this fall looks like, from the usual amount of fans that would show up and buy tickets uh, on game day. Uh, but it also was a reminder that, you know, part of the reason why we're even seeing these attempts by professional sports leagues and certainly as the, a run-up to college sports, part of the reason we're seeing it is it is motivated by money. These are leagues that are not just, you know, trying to take advantage of these big TV contracts, but these are businesses and they are like so many other businesses across the country, they are trying to stay in business. And so uh, this is just a sign of the times. And we wanted to get the word out, obviously, because uh, I think University of Hawaii Athletics is so important here to us. It is the only Division I program in the state of Hawaii. Uh, but certainly it is another indicator of uh, just how strenuous this pandemic has been and projects to be here until we uh, get to a full-blown solution. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think it's it's definitely in anticipation that ticket sales aren't going to be what they are. Revenue is not going to be what it usually is, even if they can put some people in the seats when it comes to, to football and, and volleyball and some of the sports that are usually turn a profit for the University of Hawaii's athletic department. But, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a situation where they're going to be trying to play catch up in a lot of ways. And, and part of that hey, may be asking the community to support. Right especially in this upcoming season where you're going to have those spring athletes uh, the opportunity to play that extra year, funding extra scholarships uh, on top of the, the incoming freshmen uh, and first-year players. So it's, it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle. I will say, uh, you know, Hawaii's got a, a dedicated core of fans, right, and backers that I think will step up to the plate. Uh, you know, the periphery can be a bit finicky when it comes to to the support here, but there is a pretty nice core of, of dedicated diehards, if you will. Uh, and, I, and I will say it is an athletic department with David Matlin that seemingly through this pandemic, um, I will give them a lot of credit because, it, you know, we've seen some of the, the dire straits at other schools where they're cutting programs, uh, where they're furloughing coaches and things like that. Uh, the University of Hawaii, I think, has handled this fairly responsibly uh, I think they haven't been delusional about promising things. I think they've been very realistic. I think they've managed things uh, in a pretty prudent fashion. And so for them to ask for this kind of financial support uh, from the community, I give them the benefit of the doubt that they have exhausted other options, uh, I think, just in the way that David Matlin and his, his staff has, has sort of handled things the last several months. All right, moving on. Uh, this is obviously a pretty sensitive time when it comes to uh, race relations and the status of people of color. Investors have called on Nike, FedEx, PepsiCo, and other sponsors of the Washington Redskins organization uh, to apply pressure on the team to change its nickname. FedEx, has, uh, which has the naming rights of the stadium, has reportedly obliged and has requested that the franchise take this into consideration. Nike has reportedly removed Washington gear from its website. Uh, what do you think about this? And if they do come around, if Daniel Snyder finally comes around and makes what a lot of people consider to be a long overdue change, what should be the new name of the Washington NFL team? Yeah, that's that's going to be a, a, a big discussion, right? It's also not unprecedented in the nation's capital with the Bullets, right, who, who eventually changed their name and, and became the Wizards. So it, it, especially in that part of the country, uh, we have seen it done before, um, you know, and, and you could even argue that, right, the, the term bullets is is even less, uh, you know, <laughs> controversial uh, than, than, you know, having a mascot dedicated to a certain person or certain peoples, um, especially those are marginalized and, and from minority communities, such as with the Redskins. Uh, you know, this has obviously been a conversation for a number of years. I remember, I remember when we had... Uh, you know, Mike Wise, the columnist, has got some roots here in Hawaii on our radio show uh, back when that was running. I mean, that what, four or five years ago at, at least? Uh, you might remember that better than I do. But, 
you know, so this has been a conversation. I get it. Right. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's inevitable. Um, you know, we are seeing the NFL uh, a little late to the party, but they are starting to kind of step up and, and join the conversation a little bit. Right. I mean, uh, even reports of in week one, the NFL is going to play what is, you know, considered the, the black national anthem. And so, you know, if you're going to be doing those kinds of things and you're, you're moving towards uh, social justice in, in certain paths, um, having a landmark franchise, really one of the historic franchises in the league with a nickname such as that, right? And then you get into the, the issue of, you know, the Cleveland Indians and the Atlanta Braves and some of the other um, – you know, mascots and, and nicknames in professional sports. And the NCAA has kind of gone through a bit of this reckoning as well. I do think it is inevitable. I don't know if that comes with Daniel Snyder deciding to, to make the move. I don't know if it's, you know, him being so hard-headed, he ends up selling the team. I, I don't know what that moment of reckoning looks like. Uh, and I don't know how soon. Um, corporate pressure is a big deal, right? I mean, if FedEx is going to put that pressure on, if Nike, who's not just a partner of the Washington football team, but a partner of the league, right? I mean, that's a league-wide deal between Nike and merchandising. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting next couple of days, I think, in how Daniel Snyder responds to a lot of this, how he responds to a lot of the corporate pressure, uh, as we were just talking about on the last topic, right? A lot of this comes down to dollars and cents. Um, and that franchise is valued as the fifth most valuable franchise in the NFL and the 14th most valuable franchise in all of professional sports in the world at last check by Forbes. So, I mean, that, that's a lot of money we're talking about. And, and in terms of what we, what we name that thing, I don't know, right? I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I, th- I feel like I got to do a little more research. I feel like maybe you can stick with the R, right? Because you can stick with the hashtag HTTR, the Hail to the Redskins, and you got the song and all this kind of thing. So maybe, maybe you can find a way to, to, to keep the, the R nickname um, and you, you can keep the hashtag. Not that that's the most important thing in the world. But, uh, you know, why not just go Washington Sentinels like uh, the old uh, Keanu Reeves, Gene Hackman, The Replacements. Uh, they were a, a feel-good story, so maybe uh, maybe they can get the licensing for that. I've seen some other uh, suggestions, the Red Tails instead of the Redskins, which would be uh, an homage to the Tuskegee Airmen, right? So that would be uh, quite the image reversal for sure, uh, but you could maintain basically the same colors and all of that. Um, I always thought, just take the red off and just call them the Skins. Half of the people out there call them the Skins anyway, right? Their fan base calls them affectionately the Skins for short, and that would be a little bit more... Uh, all-inclusive like it it doesn't have to be specific it could be all skins or or however you know maybe like more pig skins or something like that but just the same there you go there's a potato skin sponsorship in there somewhere there you go yeah you could justify that in in a number of ways but and yes this is just a symptomatic type of change but i think it is still a very symbolic type of change Uh, especially if the nfl is as they seem to be doing attempting to uh, establish this kind of role reversal as it pertains to this grander conversation. So uh, I would like to see the name change. I I think in a perfect world, uh, this would be something that Daniel Snyder would take upon himself to do because as the owner of the franchise, he feels like it's the right thing to do. Unfortunately, it it, it sounds as though the only way this change is going to take place is because of financial pressure that's being put on him. But that's the reality. So much of what later is justified as Uh, societally sound uh, and responsible change is done because of other motivating factors. And that's just the reality of the situation. You would like for it to be a better scenario than that. Uh, But if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. And I think we're all in agreement that uh, just change the name. It's not even that big of a deal. All right, time now for our Domino's Hawaii main topping. And we're going to be talking with Eddie Klineski, again, head coach, for the Damian Monarchs football program. Fitting that he is back in his role and we really appreciate him giving us some time. So let's go ahead and uh, play that interview right now. All right, well, here with Eddie Klineski and uh, I guess you could say it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride emotionally for you here over the last week and the rest of the state has been uh, watching and following via some of the news reports. But uh, give us a sense of what the last week has been like for you to endure. Um, you know, to say the least, it's been a pretty crazy. Um, you know, a lot, like you said, a roller coaster ride. And I think the, the biggest thing that was really kind of like tugged on my, my emotions was, you know, having to talk to my kids, 
you know, because we have, we've been having a few workouts here and there when we can and, you know, having to, you know, them seeing it on the news before I could even tell them, that was probably like the, the toughest situation I had to do. And I, it was very uncertain that day when I spoke to them and I said, you know, don't, don't make this whole football thing about me. And it's not about that. It's about your experience and about, you know, contributing to Damon and, and all that. And when I, as I was talking to them, you know, I was kind of almost breaking down and I couldn't really finish what I wanted to, you know, to tell them. And, um, you know, that was probably the, the most difficult thing. And being here at Damon for, you know, the past 16 years, um, you know, as a football coach, a teacher, an ad administration, alumni relations, and a bunch of different things. And, you know, for to have to go gone through that and then, you know, just be all taken away in one fell swoop, it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, but uh, now, you know, we're just, we're, we're getting back on track and, uh, you know, we're going to move forward from here. So yeah, excited for the opportunity. What was relayed to you? What was communicated to you? Uh, Brother Brian Walsh was uh, the, the one who made these decisions. And then, of course, uh, subsequently, uh, he would be replaced as head of school by Kyle Atabay. Uh, and so, it, you know, it, it wasn't just a sports thing. Uh, this was kind of a bit of a Damien school overall soap opera over the last uh, week. But what did he communicate to you about why he was making those decisions at the time? And did you in your heart feel like, oh, that's it. I'm not going to be the head coach at Damien anymore. What, what, what was your reaction? Well, I mean, so I don't want to say the excuse, but the reason why a bunch of us were let go, not just myself, but all the other ones, it was, it was due to this COVID pandemic thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, when we, when we went back and we, we saw the numbers, we knew the numbers of what was going on at the school and we weren't in a, we weren't in a deficit. We weren't going to have a problem with the school. So it was kind of like, we, we weren't really sure. And this happened with a lot of other people at the school and they were, uh, many of them have been already reinstated for next year. So, um, that was kind of like what it that was what the excuse was and it was just kind of crazy because we knew the numbers we were given a certain amount and says if we have this amount we're gonna everybody's gonna be all right and we we kind of exceeded that amount so and you know when we just weren't sure we were very very unsure of why things happened um but it did it, it happened and we just kind of had to move on and you know just going through that whole situation it was tough and um, you know we're just glad that you know, the, the new, new administration, new head of school are, are coming through and they're kind of communicating with everybody now and kind of, you know, squaring the school away and, and getting things back on track. And um, I think it's going to be positive for our Damien community, our families, our, our students, our kids, our alumni, everybody that has been invested in our school over, you know, over this, this you know, however long I've been here. And uh, it's uh, now we can, like I said, move forward and, uh, you know, put Damien in a better place. Yeah, Eddie, I mean, everything unfolded so quickly, at least to, to those getting the story on the outside, right? I mean, what, was there a sense uh, when you got that letter that, that you had been let go, that there was a possibility of, of you getting back to Damien? Uh, I know it all kind of, as, as we mentioned, kind of flipped on a coin so quickly, but, but when you got that letter letting you know that, you know, you were no longer going to be employed at Damien, I mean, did, did you think it was a possibility um, that things could get changed around? Well, no, you know, at, at first, um, you know, I, of course, I, you know, a lot of people was like being encouraging, oh, no, things will, you know, you'll be okay. But, you know, if, if Brother Walsh didn't get relieved of that position, I would say a lot of us wouldn't have got our jobs back. Like it would have been set in stone and we wouldn't have, had, we, there was no turning back. And just the way it happened, I think a lot of people would have been bitter, you know, even if we were asked to come back with him. In the, at the top of the school. So with the changes that happened, um, I was still a little bit nervous because I, I didn't hear anything back, you know, for, for almost a week. And my wheels are turning and I'm like, okay, we have a contract to the end, you know, till, you know, the first week in August, have a few more paychecks here and there. And then, so now it's like, now I'm on the job search to make sure that I can take care of my family and, you know, things are going on. And I, you know, obviously a lot of people reached out to me and, you know, was encouraging me to stay, stay strong and just, you know, be patient. And, um, you know, sure enough, when, you know, uh, I was able to speak to Kyle and Brother Hall, it kind of like, it made me realize, okay, maybe I, I did make an impact and, and I'm going to be able to come back. And the, the, the kind of the things that they told me, you know, really caring about not just myself, but my family and the impact that it would have on me. Um, and then to bring them, the way they brought me back, I was very happy. And it was, it was to me, 
it was a no brainer for me to say, yes, I'm going to come back and I'm going to, you know, do the athletic director job and all that stuff and be the head coach. And it was very, very easy for me to say, yes, I, I want to be, you know, continue to work and, and be a Damien for sure. Yeah. I think a lot of people very encouraged by, uh, how things happened, uh, at least in terms of uh, kind of bringing everybody back. Uh, I mean, you, you, you mentioned Damien, and a lot of people know your history with, with the school and, and all the years that you've put in uh, since graduating from there. But what what does the school mean to you, um, just kind of directly uh, for, for you, Eddie Klineski? Well, I mean, it, it meant everything to me. Like, um, I'm, I, was, I came to school – I wasn't uh, the person I am today. I was definitely not that person when I got here. Um, I was sent here for a reason um, to kind of fix my attitude, you know, my, the way I, the, the kind of person I was. I was just, you know, just a, a scrapper from Waipahu, you know what I mean? Just a tough guy, kind of like getting into trouble, doing dumb stuff and, you know, things like that. And I was sent here to be straightened out, basically, is what it came down to. And, you know, I owe a lot to the people that helped me along my way and got me to through the journey through Damien and eventually, you know, being able to stay home and play at UH. But Damien built that foundation um, of working hard and, you know, going through adversity and being able to get, you know, um, getting these life lessons through a lot of the, the adversity that I faced, you know, at the school and when I was growing up. And, you know, being able to um, – one of my mentors actually who first brought me back when I graduated um, and I was kind of just doing a bunch of other jobs and I was actually offered to become a, like a, a substitute teacher. Um, and that was how I ended up coming back to Damien at the beginning. And then, you know, after a couple of years, I, they actually offered me a teaching job and then that's how my whole thing started. And I've been here since then, like 2004. And, you know, can you continue on with that? My two of my stepdaughters, the oldest, the older two already graduated from Damien. So one graduated in 2020, the other one graduated in 2016, and then we have two more here at Damien that are going to be ninth grade. So the legacy is continuing on with them, and you know, um, it's we're gonna we're gonna be here, and um, I want to make sure that the school is, I can do as much for the school as it did for me, and it's for my family and my girls, and you know that's huge for us, and uh, we want to make sure that um, all everybody involved, the alumni and our constituents, our parents, our, you know, all our donors and things like that. We want to make sure that we're here and we're solid and we're moving the school forward in a positive direction. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely glad to be a part of it. I'm very blessed to have gotten my job back or another job back, but I'm just happy to be back and uh, want to get going, man, for sure. Yeah, I've always thought yours to be the quintessential Damien story. You know, the alum who came back and you've been involved with this football program, been involved with this school as a, as a member of that faculty for so many years. Uh, how does your role now change from what it was prior to this tumultuous week now that you're the head coach and also newly named athletics director? Um, yeah, so like, I mean, like I've been in this position before, you know, as a co-athletic director. So I was with somebody else and kind of had to learn it a little bit. And I also was in the development office and alumni relations for a while. So um, the key for me is now, you know, we're definitely, you know, be tugging on our alumni. You know, our alumni has been very, they've been very um, supportive of me, you know, through athletics and, and football and different things. But now it's like, it's time to really kind of, uh, you know, get them to, to support a little bit more monetarily and, um, you know, give back to the school. Um, we've had, we've had a lot of assistance. We had a lot of help and now we're just gonna, you know, I think that now that we have a Damien alum at the head of the school and then a lot of, we actually have a quite a few faculty and staff that are Damien alums. And, you know, I think for me, it's just to continue to improve our sports, our athletics, um, you know, the, the kids, you know, just everything that they're doing, like our academic stuff is, is pretty well on course. And, you know, we have a bunch of ideas that they're, they're going to do. And uh, we're just, it's a college prep school. We want to get kids into college. And we've been, we've been very successful at that. I just want to continue to the tra tradition, our tradition, and just kind of move our school forward and um, bring more people to the school and, uh, you know, bring more awareness that we are, we're, we're, we're back and we're going to try our best to not, you know, repeat any of these things that happened over this, you know, the last few months or, you know, this past year. Um, not all negative, but um, we're trying to, you know, get rid of all that negative stuff as much as possible for sure.
Well, you also take on the AD responsibilities at a time when it is about as difficult as it ever has been with regard to what's happening with the COVID-19 pandemic. So much uncertainty. And you can't just look at it through the lens of only football now. You have to look at it through the lens of the entire athletics department. So what is the approach for you as it currently stands? What do you anticipate possibly happening here with regard to prep football and sports overall? Yeah, so I mean, obviously we're gonna we're gonna you know follow the guidelines that are set by you know Chris Chun and HHSA and and the ILH um, you know athletic director community the, the executive directors Blaine Geisen and all those guys. So we're just gonna follow the protocol. We're gonna go along with, with what's going on. But I know at one point the uncertainty was when Brother Wall said we may not have sports, and that was where all this kind of stuff happened with our athletics. And I was assured by Dr. Adebay, when I came back and I asked him, that was the first question I asked when I, I said, are we going to participate? He said, yeah, of course. They, they had no idea that he, made, he was going to make that kind of statement that we weren't going to participate in sports, which is, you know, that's not, gonna, that's not the truth anymore. So the truth of the matter is we are going to, whatever sports that is going to be played in the state of Hawaii, Damien will be participating in it. If we have, you know, if we have that team, so that's going to definitely, we're, we're moving forward with all that. I mean, there's obviously a lot of safety concerns that we're going to, we're going to have to follow now with the, you know, with all these safety protocols, but we're going to be at the front of all that stuff. You know what I mean? As soon as we find out what we need to do, what are our guidelines, what is our protocols, we're going to, we're going to set all that forward. I just sent an email to all our coaches, um, you know, to make, to reassure them as well that, you know, we are going to participate in sports and we are moving forward. It's going to be different. Um, we're going to follow the guidelines of everybody else, but we are participating and we, we are going to move forward. We're going to be ready to rock and roll when we, we do get that opportunity for sure. How, how important is the offering of sports in, in all the athletic programs, not just football, for the, the makeup, the fabric of the school and the, the student body? Yeah, you know, I think um, I don't know what the actual percentage of kids that participate in sports at Damien, but I want to say it's it's pretty high on both boys and the girls. And had we decided not to have sports and other schools did, I want to say we would have we would have lost quite a few student athletes um, in that process. Um, But, you know, so I think it's it's very important, just like our whole philosophy here at Damien is to kind of build the, the whole person. Right. So. We're not just a, a school that just, you know, talks about sports. We talk about their Catholic identity, their academics, you know, their community service, you know, their, their service to their families and representing themselves well. Um, and sports is a huge part of that. You know, you guys know, you guys play sports and it's, it's part of, uh, you know, it's just a part of how you, you uh, build a person, you know, a whole person, not just one thing or the other. You want to be able to give kids opportunities, I think. And we have a huge population that plays sports and um, that's why I think we've been on the upswing we've you, you've seen we've been a little bit more successful in things that we're doing and you know we hope to continue that and uh, you know we we want we want to invite you know people to come to Damien and, and participate and help us you know win championships and you know build a, a stronger um, athletic legacy as well. My next question kind of I guess it kind of gets to both you as the football coach and, and you as the administrator now mm-hmm. uh, do you anticipate the, the schedule as laid out, especially for football, you know, mid-August we're going to start and play games by early September. I mean, do you, do you envision that or is it kind of just you guys are prepared to roll with whatever? What, what do you kind of prefer to see just knowing what's going on right now? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I would love to just get back into football um, and just go as normal as possible, get into the weight room and start training and doing all those things. But it's really – it's really super, super uncertain because if we don't have the capability to test kids and eliminate them or let them know that you are sick or not, it's going to be hard to move forward because the way the rule is now is if you're, you're sick, you quarantine and they're going to quarantine everybody who you're in contact with. And if that's the case and we can't test them to eliminate them saying they're not sick, then how do you, how do you make a schedule? How do you, you know, move forward? And that's something that, I don't really have to think about, but that's, we're going to, that's something that's going to be, the guidelines are going to be set by Chris Chun and their administration. Um, we're going to just do what we can do to try to prepare our kids as much as we can. But um, I want to play football. I want our kids to play football. You know, uh, we definitely don't want to lose it. Uh, 
you know, and, and not, I don't want to be selfish and just with football, but like just in sports in general, we, we know that there's going to be a lot of uncertainty and things we gotta, we gotta do and clean up a lot more, sanitize things and be real safe. And, um, that's, that's the number one concern. And even talking with Kyle is like, we're not going to put our, we're going to try our best not to put our kids in, in a situation that that's, we don't feel that is safe anyway. So once we find all the guidelines and everybody's good and we, you know, I know they're looking at national things and um, we're, we may be a little bit different from everybody else in Hawaii, but we still got to follow the rules and we still got to make sure that we don't put our kids in a bad situation. Um, and then it, it spreads and it goes everywhere and they take it home to their, you know, their grandparents and that mom and dad. And so we just got to be smart about it, but we definitely are preparing to full goal. Um, both as a football coach and as an administrator, I just got to, gotta, you know, I have to be in the middle and tell the parents this, tell the kids this, and, you know, but be, be realistic that we're not going to put them in a situation that we, we can't uh, handle. The HHSAA put out some guidelines, and that was largely based on the, some of the National High School Federation guidelines. Uh, and so sports like air riflery or more individual type sports like that uh, are deemed uh, ones that are on the safer side, uh, yes. whereas football is one that is sort of on the other end of the spectrum. And so you're hearing some some ideas being tossed around. I think Ron Lee, one of the guys who is, is kind of suggested, um, you know, what if we were to put all of the safer sports, quote unquote, or those that belong in the safer category, move those further up in the athletic season or athletic year schedule into the fall and then put sports like football or the ones that are deemed a little bit less safe under these circumstances, push them back towards, you know, more the, the winter or even spring seasons uh, to buy a little bit more time. What do you think about some of those kinds of ideas? Well, I mean, I think that's, it's not a bad idea um, in order to be able to give everybody a fair chance. But at the same time now, if, you start to play around with the sports calendar. Now it's going to affect, you know, 2021, 2022. And so like you talking about, say, for example, just let's just talk about football. If we was to move football to the spring and then in 2021, we say, oh, yeah, we're going to go back to normal because we have a vaccine and all that kind of stuff. Now you're talking about having football in the spring and you're going basically back to back football. You're going to have a summer, but you're going to go straight back into football in the fall. So that could be a concern too, right? Where the kids don't have time to recover and rest and train properly. Um, and then you also, the other, the other thing about moving sports around is you're going to lose your two sport athletes. So if, if football was at the same time as wrestling, those guys wouldn't be able to do it. And there's a lot of guys that do football and wrestling. There's a lot of guys that do football and basketball. There's a lot of guys that do football and track um, or football and baseball. So, you know, um, there, there's that concern too, where kids will, you, you might have an elite athlete who's only going to be able to play one of those sports and he's going to have to choose. So now that, that's, that's another concern as well. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of like the idea of it to, just because I want to make sure we have a full season for football. But at the same time, you look at what is, how is it going to affect the rest of the sports? How is it going to affect next year? And I think that's kind of why most of the athletic directors voted to keep the sports season the same, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I think that's, that's the main reason because otherwise you're going to change the sports for the, for who knows how long until there's a, you know, a vaccine. So, I mean, we can talk about it and um, kind of come up with ideas, but it's, it's, you know, one thing's going to lead to another thing. So, you know, we got to see what's best for the entire, you know, entire um, athletic community for sure. Yeah, that's a legitimate concern, the, the domino effect of making those kinds of schedule changes. Uh, this has also brought to attention, I think, just the overall general question of the importance of athletics. And I think you, you, you touched on it just a little bit earlier. Self-proclaimed, hey, look, I went to Damien and, you know, for me, it was about creating some structure for myself and, and benefiting from that. And sports was a huge part of that. So, you know, being that you're in the role of athletics director and longtime uh, football head coach, um, you know, how do you see the importance of sports and why do you think even at a time like this, you know, where we are, are trying to negotiate and maneuver through all of these dangers because of the pandemic? Uh, why do you believe that, that sports is so important to the, the student uh, experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I would think um, even more so today, sports is going to be it's it's huge because 
a lot of these kids, I don't know if it's real true, but there's probably a lot of kids that are sitting at home not doing anything, right? We, we're, you know, for me, just for myself with our football kids, we try to give them some workouts, some opportunities to get together and kind of train. Um, we can't do much, but we try to do a little bit here and there. But just imagine those kids that their, their parents are not allowing them because they're very, very afraid of this or they have, you know, Kapuna at home that they don't want to, you know, that virus to be brought home. It's very important for those kids who do participate in sports to be able to have an outlet, to be able to join a team, to be able to be a part of something rather than just sitting at home like, man, getting all worried. You know what I mean? Like that, that mentally, I think that's going to, that's got to be affecting kids that can't get out. And when they're, if their parents are really strict and they want them to stay home and they can't even go to the beach or whatever it is, those guys are struggling. They need to get out. They need to have sports. They need to have, um, you know, build that camaraderie with their teammates and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like to me, that's huge part of their, their growth, you know, as a, as a human. And uh, just to be able to kind of like, you don't, you don't want to, you know, not be well-rounded. You kind of want to be experienced all these different things. And, you know, I just hope that with that sports actually comes because of that, because we, you know, you don't want, you don't want to have to have a lot of kids out there with these, uh, you know, these mental issues in their head, you know, they're, they're so worried about, it. they got this block. And um, I think that's, it's, to me, sports today is going to be even more important as we move forward and just being able to have an outlet and, you know, to do something and just for their overall health, you know, so that's, that's just my take on it. I think, uh, you know, we need it for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we even see it here on Maui, just the kids that have been able to get out to the park, just how much they're itching to get out and be active uh even just running around a bit um yeah, I was a little curious too uh, just i've heard from from different administrators and whatnot you know the the very real possibility of you know limiting like neighbor island travel for non-league games uh, in, in all sports really limiting schedules uh to just league contests uh i'm just kind of curious what your thought or what kind of conversations you've had on that and especially with football in large part because of the, you know, how reliant the schools on Oahu have been the last couple of years with the, the OIA ILH agreement uh, and, and how that could be affected by the fact that we're, we were maybe are looking at some pretty pared down schedules. Yeah, um, we did, we did talk about that and um, I, well, I heard some things about it and, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with all that. Um, we actually were supposed to have, you know, in a, a Lahaina Luna game this year. We were supposed to rematch them. We were supposed to go to Las Vegas and play a team up there this year. We were supposed to do some traveling. Um, and then I heard about possibly not having interleague. And so we would lose all those OIA games. But, you know, the one good thing I think that would hopefully come out of that is maybe we'll get to play St. Louis, Punahou, Mel, you know. And that would be great too, you know what I mean? Like when, when I heard that, I was like, well, shoot. Let's, let's go play those guys. And, uh, you know, I think our, you know, our kids would be excited about it. I mean, playing those open teams, but we, we just don't know. It's uncertain, but I think that would be great. I would love to have that opportunity if we were have to stick to our own leagues and, you know, just play everybody. And then, you know, between us, Iolani and Pac-5, maybe be the other, you know, the other representative, because it almost sounded like they were thinking about only having two divisions, you know, because, because of the shortened time, they wouldn't be able to have a, three-tier division in a state tournament anyway. So um, if that was the case, you know, it would be a little bit different, but it, it could be a great experience for our kids as well. So um, I would love that. Um, you know, I did want to – I did want to I, I – um, I was just thinking about something when, it was, when I was answering the other question, though, but it, if – just talking about sports in general, if um, – you know, the, the good thing about if we didn't have certain sports, if we moved things around, it, it would be a great opportunity for a lot of our athletes to – kind of experience another sport, right? Like imagine, imagine some of these big football players like trying to go play golf or shoot a, you know, a rifle. Um, it, would, bowling. it would be fun, you know what I mean? Yeah, bowling. Like, <laughs> yeah. We could have a lot of fun with it if we did move it around. So I just thought about that after, but it was just, it would be interesting to see something like that. You could have many of these kids, oh, I only play this on for that. I was like, well, we're not gonna have that sport, so maybe you should join cross country or whatever. So it would be, it would be interesting. Um, but yeah, you know, I just, uh, you know, with the new, with the schedule possibilities being shortened, you know, it opens up a lot of, you know, opportunities in for different things. So I just, if we try to make the most positive thing out of everything, um, I think that'll be our best bet as we go. 
You know, it's interesting. That reminded me when you were answering Jordan's question of when I would talk to Chris Brown, another Damien alum, played at UH linebacker. Uh, and, you know, this was going back to the days when St. Louis was scoring 70, 80 points on Damien and uh, former head of school brother O'Donnell was the one who, who decided, all right, we don't really want that matchup anymore. And so that led or at least initiated some of the conversation about establishing a different division and all that history. Yep. Uh, but I remember Chris Brown used to say I could never sleep the night before a St. Louis game because all I would be thinking about in my head was what I would be saying in the post-game interview to the media after we upset them and knocked them off. Like, it didn't matter the the sort of lopsided nature of, or at least the trend of the lopsided nature of those matchups. The belief within that locker room was, no, we can win it. And what you're discussing right now is exactly that. And I find that interesting. I mean, that's that Damien mentality. Oh, yeah. I I, I mean – we we're bred the same way. I just I just spoke to actually Chris yesterday. He texted me and all that. But we, we definitely that's what it is because we've always been in that underdog role. And even playing up at UAC, you know, we both played at different times. But it's the same mentality. Like we didn't care who we played. It. I tell you right now, I probably when I played at UH, I only we only won probably twelve games in the four years I was there. And I thought we were gonna win every single game. The night before, I was like, we're gonna win this football game. Going to the locker room, we're gonna win this football game. We lost a lot of those games, but I never thought we were going to lose them. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's something that was born here at Damien, you know, having to face these guys. We, Coach Ina had us believe we could beat anybody. You know, we never beat St. Louis when I played, but I would love to have that opportunity. I don't, say, I don't think, I don't know if we, anybody is going to beat them anytime soon, but shoot, having that opportunity is, is an unbelievable thing for kids to think about you know what I mean like that's like man we're gonna fight we're gonna fight that guy right there that's gonna be that's gonna be fun man you better get ready so yeah we that that, if that ended up coming I'm definitely if if we get to that point where we talk about we're gonna split the leagues that is something I'm gonna definitely vote for to say let's play everybody in our league for sure it doesn't really matter like you know everybody puts their pants on the same way like you know that you know that old saying right and um I think uh, we have, you know, we have more capable athletes now than we had 10 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, the disparity is not that huge where it's like, oh, yeah, everybody's thinking about we're going to get hurt and all that kind of stuff. Man, it is football, man. You got equipment and things like that. So um, we definitely would, would love that challenge. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of see. We don't, we don't know. But I would definitely vote to play those guys for sure. Yeah. No, I love that. That is a very Damien mentality. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of people, uh, even if they're not affiliated with the school, have, have admired it. Uh, I just got one last question, Eddie, and, and it kind of deals with the rise. And you, you mentioned it. I, I think the caliber and the quality of athlete and program uh, at Damien has definitely been steadily on the rise on the boys' side, on the girls' side. Uh, heck, the girls won the Division II State Volleyball Championship just last fall. Uh, basketball and some, some really unprecedented success the last couple of years, jumping up to D1 this year, finishing you know top three in the state. Uh, and then obviously what football has been able to do here over the last, you know, decade or so. What, what's been kind of the, the ingredients that have gone into this and, and the steady growth really across the board in a number of sports? Well, I just think, um, you know, being able to kind of change the mentality of the kids that, you know, when I first took over as head coach, we had lost probably, you know, 30 games in a row maybe. And even my first year, I didn't win a game. But it, it was okay. What we started to build, even just with football, and it kind of crossed over through the rest of the, you know, the school. And the problem was just basically kind of changing the mentality of, oh, yeah, we're, we're used to losing. We're going to accept losing, you know. And that was my biggest challenge was to change that philosophy and say, look, we ain't, we're not going to accept this losing, man. We're going to do whatever we can to win, and we're going to expect to win no matter who we play. And I think as, as that, that um, mentality started to, come around other coaches started to do the same thing and I think kids on the outside started to see it more and they wanted to be a part of it too so we we started to get more talent obviously talent's going to win more games so we started to get you know more quality players as as this thing started to build and um you know I think we have a lot of great coaches here that are on staff and they they have a philosophy that they you know that we all have and it's like we want to we don't want to be um, accepting of losing that loser mentality is gone that does not exist at Damien no longer any longer so I'm going to tell you that right now with all the people we talk to it's not like 
you know, we're not, we're not going to, that's not acceptable. And if a coach comes in there, he's going to talk to me like that. That guy's not going to be a coach at any, you know what I mean? And not for long because we want to, our expectation is to win and to compete and try to win championships um, along with the life lessons along the way. But that mentality of, you know, you're, you're not here just to have fun. You're, you're, you're going to have fun, but you're going to have to work hard and you're going to have to train and you, you want to be, you want to hold a trophy up at the end of the day. You want to, we have, more memories of wins and, and trophies and championships rather than, uh, we almost won that game. I went through that. I don't want the kids to be going through that. I had to, I have to be the, the one that had to go through all the losing and all that stuff back in the day, but we're, we don't want to do that no more. So that's where we are. That's where we are for sure. Well, multiple ILH titles. You've coached this football program to some of the greatest successes in, its, uh, in this program's history. And so uh, uh, after a tumultuous week, I'm very happy to see that uh, you are back in that position as well as athletics director. Uh, you are the quintessential Damian guy, Eddie, and we're really uh, stoked for you. And uh, hopefully, cross fingers, we can have some of these prep sports competitions uh, and especially on the gridiron. Uh, so thanks, man. Appreciate the time and uh, great to see you. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Kanoa Jordan. You guys are awesome, man. Keep doing what you guys are doing, and I uh, appreciate the support and uh, the love, man. We'll, we'll be back out there soon, for sure. All right, brother. Take care. Take care. Right on, Eddie. Take care. Models. All right, big thanks to Eddie Klineski. He's the man. We're going to uh, go ahead and take a break when we come back. Our post-game best and worst. For our listeners on the Valley Isle, the Maui Flag Football League is on this summer, starting as early as July 1st. The MFFL is a youth flag football league for boys and girls ranging in age from 3 to 18, broken up into divisions of seven different age groups representing five districts, upcountry, Wailuku, Kahului, Kihei, and Lahaina. The goal of the MFFL is to teach the game of football without the worry of violent contact, concussions, or weight cutting. It's all about having fun, being active, and making new friends while reinforcing important values like teamwork, perseverance, and respect for your fellow players and coaches. For more information on the Maui Flag Football League, please call 808-280-7513 or email mauiflagfootball at gmail.com and get signed up. All right, back to the show. All right, Jordan, it's post-game time. Best and worst. Why don't we start with the best here? What's your best here on this occasion? Yeah, my best, uh, I'm going to kind of take it in a, a weird direction. I really don't know if it's the best thing. Uh, that I've seen, but it was definitely one of the more interesting things that I've seen. And it was the video, uh, I think Antonio Brown posted it, but it's Russell Wilson and Antonio Brown working out in what looked like a pretty tropical location just due to the landscape behind and the scenery, Uh, some tropical trees and whatnot. I don't know if we're talking California, Florida, something like that. Um, But it just made me think, you know, and this is in no way an endorsement of like Antonio Brown's return to the league or if the Seahawks should sign him or anything like that. But uh, two guys who have come on vacation in recent years to Maui who have worked out at local high schools and, and interacted and, and done some pretty cool things with some local athletes. Uh, Russell Wilson and a whole slew of Seahawks came down on like a private jet, like a chartered commercial airliner uh, that wasn't used commercially um, down here. But it was about 2015 or so. It was like right after, the, you know, right about the Super Bowl runs. I worked out at Kamehameha Schools Maui and, and uh, went through some, some pretty elaborate workouts. And again, it, was, it wasn't just him. It was a, a bunch of the offense and even some of the guys on defense. Uh, and then Antonio Brown, just last summer when he was working out at Maui High here, here in Kahului, um, a little did we know that he wasn't really going to play much of the season after that. Uh, but it was, you know, those were really cool moments where a lot of the kids, you know, at those respective schools got to see, interact, hear from those guys, heck, throw passes uh, catch passes from, from some of these NFLers. So it, it made me think of, uh, you know, maybe simpler times. Uh, so that was, uh, it was cool to see again, this is not necessarily an endorsement of, uh, you know, what that partnership could look like on an NFL field. But, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, that's uh, two guys working out in front of nobody really except a cell phone camera that uh, kind of did the same thing here on Maui not that long ago. Are we sure that wasn't Maui High? Like, is that has that been proven that that did not? You know, take I looked place at here? it pretty closely. I looked at it pretty closely. Um, as far as I could tell, uh, it didn't look like it was on Maui, uh, but I, ca- I can't confirm. Right, yeah, well, I mean, until we confirm, there's at least a possibility. Uh, my best is you've watched these episodes of Detail on ESPN.com and mm-hmm. ESPN Plus, uh, and so it came out of the mind of the late Kobe Bryant who started doing uh, detail 
uh, episodes on various superstars and various teams in the NBA. And he would just go, as the title would suggest, goes into detail about strategies and techniques. And uh, it just was and has always been a very interesting watch. And, and I think Peyton Manning did a football version of it. And so uh, they have been coming out with some MMA and UFC episodes of detail. Those are narrated and broken down by Daniel Cormier. Uh, and he did one that was just released on Max Holloway, who is set to fight on Fight Island against Alexander Volkanovsky in just a couple of weekends. Uh, but the way Daniel Cormier breaks down a couple of Max's previous fights, including his last go-around with uh, Jose Aldo, and the way that DC calls attention to like the subtle moves, the subtle techniques, the little nuance, the strategy on the part of Max Holloway, it is something that the casual fan, uh, and I do not pretend to be an expert in mixed martial arts or combat fighting, but I enjoy it as a fan. But when you see it broken down like this, you start to gain such a greater appreciation for particularly Max's style. You know, not only are his hands always sort of in the right place as DC describes, uh, but how he'll throw phantom punches or feign jabs that have no intention of actually landing. He'll throw it elsewhere just to get his opponent into a certain range to set up another punch or even just see how he reacts for later in the fight when he's trying to pin his punches a little bit more directly. Uh, I found it fascinating. I love this series as a whole, but I got to be honest, man, Daniel Cormier on Max Holloway, uh, I could have watched that all day. That was really great. All right, let's get to our worst. What's your worst? Yeah, my worst, uh, something that uh, you had uh, thrown my way, something that I had seen as well. Uh, so I'm going to use it. But uh, MLS is back. Is That's literally what they're calling the tournament uh, for Major League Soccer in their bubble in Orlando. They're kind of almost the guinea pigs for the NBA, getting there about three, four weeks earlier uh, than the basketball guys. And, and their bubble's a little more confined, like they're using – I think one or two properties for everybody, like all the teams, uh, as opposed to the NBA, whose whose footprint is going to be a little more expansive there at Disney World. But they're they're using the same thing, the Wild World of Sports. Uh, and you know, we've seen some tests come out. Uh, FC Dallas just had nine guys in the last two days test positive, uh, which isn't a good sign because they've only started <laughs> just training. It's not like they ever even get the games just yet. Uh, but the worst part might be the food. Uh, so, you know, these guys are professional athletes, right? These are high-level clubs. You would think that they're getting taken care of food-wise. Uh, but uh, the first one that I saw was Omar Gonzalez, who's an MLS vet. He's played in Mexico as well, a former mainstay on the U.S. men's national team. Uh, but he posted a picture of his box lunch. And by box lunch, I mean a box lunch. Like, it was one of those, like, cardboard takeout containers. And it was a sandwich that didn't look very appetizing, very plain and very bland. Uh, a banana and, like, potato salad. Uh, and it didn't even have enough in there to really fill up the box. And we're not talking about the big takeout containers either. Uh, and it just looked very bland. Uh, and I was like, well, that's, that's not a really appetizing looking lunch, especially for guys who are out there training, you know, now they're back to full-time activity. Uh, and then we found out that it was $65, apparently, the cost for that. Um, and I didn't quite exactly understand the teams were paying for it, the league, exactly. what. But either way, it was a $65 box lunch that looked – um, like something that, uh, you know, even elementary school kids would be a little turned off by. Uh, so the fire festival comparisons of course began. And if you're not familiar, just Google fire festival or watch one of it's the, it's not a good thing to be compared to the, fire it's festival. not a compliment. It's not a compliment. Uh, you can watch the Netflix documentary. I think Hulu's got one as well. You'll, you'll need, you'll know all you need to know. Uh, but it was a disaster of a failed music festival that, uh, was purported to be luxurious and there were a lot of like bland bologna sandwiches. Uh, and this is kind of what it looked like. So uh, MLS is back. Uh, but the food, maybe not so much. Yeah, Jaw didn't rule in that particular <laughs> venture, the fire Festival. Yeah, that uh, reminds me of my wedding because uh, my wife and I were so busy, you know, celebrating at the wedding and talking to family and friends that we never had a chance to eat the Ono Hawaiian food that we had catered for the wedding. And so we went back to the hotel and begged them to serve us whatever they had available, even though room service was closed. And they just had a couple of like boxed sandwiches behind the front desk. It looked very much like the $65 MLS lunchbox. Uh, and we grinded it. It was great. But uh, to this day, I lament the fact that I missed out on the Ono Hawaiian food that we had uh, Spent so much money on uh, having as uh, available for all of our guests. Uh, but that is the way of, of weddings. You, you yourself, when you're getting married, you don't get to enjoy all of, of the accoutrements 
that come yeah, along nobody with. nobody uh nobody thought to you know just make you guys some some takeout containers because <laughs> i can attest the food was good i was there the food was good i if in case you needed any uh any reviews it was it was on i remember well i'm glad you enjoyed uh my worst the overwhelming response to the cam newton signing uh by the new england patriots in boston by boston radio personalities almost all of whom openly warned that Cam better lay off the Superman gesture and some of those other types of things that he likes to do when he either scores or makes a first down or makes a positive play because basically as they framed it, it's not going to fly here in New England. That's not how we do it. That's not the Patriot way. That's not how we do things around here. And there is like a subtlety of kind of racism buried underneath some of those comments but it's also really stupid because who cares if he does the superman thing like do you think bill belichick is going to get on cam newton if he hurls over the line of scrimmage to get into the end zone and then does the superman thing like gronk could spike the ball ferociously and do like the hulk thing why can't cam newton do a little celebration like if he's making positive plays i wouldn't be bothered by that one bit that's such a boston thing for being like known as the loser town for so many years and now all of a sudden they've turned it around in their title town they've really turned into a bunch of arrogant suckers in some ways at least on boston radio airwaves yeah boston sports radio is just it's just toxic as it gets right <laughs> and, and and we've the curtain's been pulled back a little bit on uh you know a little more openly on you know some of their fans like i mean as you put it out racist behavior like the red Sox put out a statement yeah. right when when, uh, you know, Tory Hunter brought it up. And, and these things had been kind of, you know, poorly kept secrets in the past, but now it's kind of out there. But that doesn't stop the idiots on sports radio, right? Like, those guys are just, they're the worst, man. Who cares? If he's cares? scoring touchdowns, if they're winning games, all those schmucks that are out there on sports radio now are going to be cheering for Cam Newton at the top of their lungs. Because that's all they, sports fans, that's all they care about. Win games. Win games, right? You can celebrate however you want in the end zone. Who cares what Cam Newton does? Also, what a steal for the Patriots. Why are you complaining <laughs> about anything? They're paying them 550000 guarantees. They're probably going to make way more than that. But, I mean, come on, Boston sports fans. Bunch of spoiled brats. Seriously. If I'm a Patriots fan and I just lost Tom Brady and then I found out that I got Cam Newton, who is supposedly healthy, former MVP at 31 years old, to come into the franchise – um, man, I wouldn't care if he wore a cape on game day. Like, just go out there, do whatever you want to do, Superman style. Uh, try to win us some games. All right, that's it for us. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808. Thanks again to Eddie Klineski. Jordan, talk to you again soon. Have a good 4th of July weekend, my man. You too, Greg.